Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. I mean, if I think back to the early days of the internet and those very cluttered websites, that as soon as you see now, you see a cluttered website, you think, bloody hell, that's old. I'm halfway through this window. I said, oh, hello, Mr. Champion. Nice (laughs) to meet you. (laughs) At which point I fell through the window, landed on the cabinet and disintegrated this bedside cabinet. Human beings form impressions very quickly. And then those become kind of the basis for what happens later. We can go back and revise what happens later, but we've now got a baseline that we have to work off. So Ryan, I don't want you to tell anybody this, okay? But I've got a story to start this episode off with this week. So I'm I'm sorry, did did you just ask me to not tell anybody about a story you're going to tell our thousands of listeners on on our podcast? <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. I I will not tell a soul. Just <laughs> just you and me, Colin. Let's it's it. just just between us and the yeah. listener, and I, I know I can trust them. Okay. <laughs> so So when I was a young man, Mm -hmm. I met my good lady wife, Lorraine, and I actually met her uh, all when we first got together was in England, they would call a holiday camp. I was 17 and Lorraine was 16. Oh, wow. Anyway, it was the the last night of this holiday camp. Lorraine had won the Miss Caster competition. Yeah. I'm sorry, the Miss what? Miss Caster. Caster is a place in England. It's a coastal town. Got it. They had this sort of beauty competition, which Lorraine won. I'd been in the football team and won the football team award. So anyway, which she got to present as the prize and the rest is history, basically. The long and short of it is we went out and we we had a drink together and we then went for a dance and uh, etc. And I was taking her back to a chalet. She wasn't with her. Her parents were in the chalet next door, but um, she was taking her back to her chalet. And it turns out that her dad was going around the campsite looking for her. Oh, no. Because there had been some problems, <laughs> okay? And it also turns out that Lorraine had forgotten her key mm. uh, to get into the chalet. Mm-hmm. So being the chivalrous person that I am, I decided that I would climb through the window of her chalet <laughs> to open the door, Okay. <laughs> And it's one of these small sort of skylight windows, so it's not like a normal window. So sure. But you were a football champion, so you were capable I, of great I'm, feats I'm, of I'm, strength. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm halfway through this window <laughs> with my sort of my torso in the chalet mm-hmm. and my legs and arse sticking out the other way. Mm-hmm. And Lorraine's father came along, <laughs> and I'm I'm halfway through this window. And I said. Oh, hello, Mr. Champion. Nice to meet you. <laughs> at, which, at which point I fell through the window, landed on the cabinet and disintegrated this bedside cabinet. So the moral of the story was that wasn't particularly a good first impression <laughs> to make on your your future father-in-law. Not that I knew it was going to be my future father-in-law. You live in a sitcom. 
<laughs> yeah. And and the, the interesting part is you can't make this stuff up. No, that's that's <laughs> insane. It's incredible. Yeah. So we we're going to talk about first impressions, I believe. <laughs> I'm not sure we should anymore. I don't think we can top that. Yes, we are going to talk about first impressions. Can you imagine that if that was one of your daughters and you, yeah. you suddenly met this 17-year-old young man climbing through the window of their uh, chalet, which is next door to you? And you, you know. Well, what, I mean, one of the things that I look for in people that my children are dating is their skill at breaking and entering. Because <laughs> that's just a life skill. I mean, you never know when you're going to need that. So that would have impressed me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't called a cat burglar. I was called an <laughs> elephant burglar. <laughs> you know, whatever gets the job done. <laughs> I think the fact that you were eventually able to marry this girl whose father you were introduced to in this way speaks to your skill in, in sales and the customer experience. I think that this sets you up. It wasn't what I would call a deliberate customer experience. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know how we follow that, Colin. All right, so... Today, we are going to talk about first impressions and, in fact, digital first impressions. The thing that led us to this topic was an article, Colin, that you found and that you sent me. The official title of it is Predicting Users' First Impressions of Website Aesthetics with a Quantification of Perceived Visual Complexity and Colorfulness, which rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And we will put the link in the show notes. So check out the show notes and uh, the link will be there. So this is a, a peer-reviewed scientific article written by some computer science professors, and we won't go into detail about the findings in particular, but essentially what they did is they showed a bunch of people, a bunch of websites, it was more than 450 different websites, and then they got people's reactions to them, and they coded those reactions, and they, they also used some eye tracking and some various other sophisticated techniques to determine how certain aesthetic aspects of the website influence people's overall impressions. And more importantly, what I think what we're mostly going to talk about here today, how quickly those impressions formed. Yeah. So when, when you got to a website, website loads up, you see it, you form some impression of it. How quickly did you form that impression based on interacting with the website? And that the headline finding was it was about 500 milliseconds. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. So half a second, essentially when people formed that initial opinion of the website, which on the one hand is shocking, yeah, right? And, I mean, the websites are very complex. You know, you have a splash page, you have a front page, but then there's supposed to be layers and layers of information that people can access. We kind of intuitively hope that people are giving us a chance, you know, like by the time you get to page three, this website's really great. And unfortunately, the news is you don't have that much time. Generally, then, how important are first impressions? We all know, what was that song, wasn't it? Maybe we should have that playing. First impressions are lasting impressions. I mean, is that the case? It's a more nuanced field of study than we're going to get have time to get into here. But the summary finding of lots and lots of research in this area is that those first impressions matter a lot. Like a lot, a lot. It's not like, I mean, as evidenced by your own marriage, it's not the case that they can't be overcome, but human beings form impressions very, very quickly. And then those become kind of the basis for what happens later. We can go back and revise what happens later, but we've now got a baseline. 
that we have to work off of. So that's like the, it's effectively like the anchor point or it's going this. So I don't know, and I'm making this up now, but you know, on a scale of one to a hundred as to whether I think this website looks good and is going to be useful to me, then I'm going to give this a 75 because of that first impression. And now my impression of that will go up or down depending upon what I see. Yeah, no, that's a great way of putting it, right? So if your initial impression was a 75 and then there were some features on it that you liked, then you might boost that up to an 80 or an 85. But if your initial impression was a 65 and you saw the exact same features that you liked, then presumably that would boost that 65 up to a 70 or a 75, right? So the place that you start with matters. And that's why these initial impressions matter. Now, this is was interesting because it was in a digital domain that they found these things. They looked at websites. But this fits within a much, much larger body of research. It's sometimes called the thin slice research domain, where they, they show people very, very quick bursts of information or just very, very little information, and they ask people to form impressions of it. One of the more famous studies in this area, they had data on college professors' student evaluations. So at the end of the semester, the students fill out an evaluation of the professor and rate them on, on a number of different characteristics. And they have that data. They then took video clips of these professors and showed it to a different group of students who had never had them and showed them just short clips. I I can't remember if it was 30 seconds or a minute of this professor teaching and had them rate the professor. And the correlations were very strong. So people formed impressions of this professor after just a few seconds that were very, very similar to the impressions that people had of this professor after an entire semester of having them teach. It gets worse than that though. They showed another group of students the same video clips, but they stripped out the sound. So it was just a few seconds of the video of this person teaching, so just the body language. And still, the ratings were very, very highly correlated. Right, well. As as a teacher who's not very handsome, I got to tell you, I was not (laughs) pleased with these findings. Well, I I guess that goes into the question I was going to ask, which is, is that about the attractiveness of the professor or is that about the the way they looked is that and i guess the answer is everybody's got something slightly different that they're looking for but what's the criteria of that is there a criteria that we should be looking out for so this is where we get into some of the nuance right physical attractiveness will certainly be a part of it although you can be kind of in a college professor setting, you can be too good looking. I mean, I'm, I'm not, but in theory that happens for some people. It, it'll depend on the specific setting. Certainly physical attractiveness is one of the components, but when evaluating, for example, a teacher, a lot of times what you're looking for is authoritativeness or kind of wisdom or experience or charisma. People may evaluate those in other ways than just physical attractiveness. There are gender differences. So how those impressions are formed so quickly is much more complicated, but the fact is they are formed and they are formed very, very quickly. Right. And just for people's knowledge, if you go to the show notes, you'll see that there's a link to Ryan's bio, which has a picture of him. So if anybody wants to rate Ryan. I need to update that bio. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're going to change it into somebody like Brad Pitt, aren't you? (laughs) No, shut up. No. So going back to the website piece, I guess this therefore has implications for homepages, 
Did the paper talk anything further about, well, what should you do? As most scientific papers are, so this isn't a criticism of the paper, this is the way science progresses. They looked at a very, very limited range of stimuli. They set boundaries. They did. Did they talk about gravity? So (laughs) Colin's trying to make a joke of something that was not funny at all, which is the fact that on a previous episode... Why am I telling? People have listened to that episode over and over again. I'm sure that by the time this airs, it's won awards. Yeah, but you've got to realize, mate, the people that listen to that episode are not listening to this episode. (laughs) I used gravity to explain a a concept we were talking about, and I I did a great job in doing so. Um, And Colin just wasn't, wasn't as into using physics to explain customer experience. Vote two. Right. Well, the first vote is the attractiveness of Ryan. You'll see yes. that in the show notes. Wait a we minute. are also going to put a link to the podcast that Ryan's referring to in the show notes. Uh, and you can listen to all about gravity and tell us what you think. I don't like either of those ideas. But in the interest <laughs> of moving forward, in this paper that you found, they looked at aesthetics of the website as measured by what they called perceived visual complexity and colorfulness. Right. So how complicated the website was. And again, without getting into the weeds of their findings, they essentially find that varying levels of complexity and of colorfulness will lead to better initial impressions. There are going to be a lot of boundary conditions around those findings. So I I don't want to leave people with the impression that they should therefore have super colorful or super bland websites or, or super complex or super... That, that's a much more nuanced discussion than we can handle in an, a purely audio podcast. Yeah. But I presume the old adage of gain of less is more. I mean, if I think back to the early days of the internet and those very cluttered websites. Yes. That as soon as you see now, you see a cluttered website, you think, bloody hell, that's old. Whereas if I go to the other extreme of just the Google homepage, if you like, which has just got the search bar basically on it. That's another extreme, but certainly it seems that less is more. As a general rule, yes, not cluttered is it tends to be better. There are certain colors that seem to, to draw the eye or, or result in a more positive result than other colors. Lime green seems to be not a good one to use in case you're curious. Right. The, the general rule of not overwhelming people and then also not having it be too boring. The specific findings of this specific paper to me, are going to be less useful to people than the general idea that you better get those first impressions right. And some of this will go back to our discussions about segmentation, because I'm sure there are segments of the market for whom different visual elements will be more appealing than others. Knowing what your customer finds appealing and making sure that you've got that design right so that the first thing that they see when they open your app or open your website is appealing and intuitive to them, that first impression that they form in, in that first half second is going to matter and is going to, to drive further uh, evaluations. Aren't we really talking to a certain extent there about just expectations? I'm thinking about, I think I've mentioned in the past, I had a, an experience with a company that sold glasses direct. Yeah. High glasses direct. My expectation was that when they said, go here and find tracking, you know, you're going to be able to track your order. I was expecting more to have something like Amazon that would tell you where they are and everything else. What I got was hardly anything, which made me go, 
actually, this isn't very good. I guess going back to my 75, it started off with me going, well, actually, that's like a 50 because I was expecting far more. Yeah. I mean, I think that the way people form these evaluations, even those instantaneous evaluations, is absolutely going to be based on their own experience and their own expectations. So back to your talking about websites in 1994 and how they were designed versus websites now and how they're designed. Well, people have 20 or 30 years of experience now interacting with websites. And so they now have a completely different set of expectations that they're bringing to evaluate your website. What might have resulted in a positive instantaneous evaluation 10 years ago might now result in a negative instantaneous evaluation because our expectations have updated because we have more experience. What is your digital or physical experience like from a customer perspective? What should you change? How do you compare against your competition? Whether you're a small, medium or large size organization, why not let me or one of the team review your digital or physical experience by undertaking what we call an experience health check. In this short and affordable engagement, we will act as a customer. And if that's not practical, we will talk to your customers and we will assess your experience against best practice. We will then provide you with a series of actionable recommendations for change. If you're interested in finding out more, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash health check. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash health check. As we're talking about this, what's coming to my mind is, and we did this podcast a little while ago. So again, we'll put the links to this in the show notes. But the whole area of measuring customer emotions over digital. Yeah. Just to sort of recap for me, which I think is really important, actually. One of the challenges in the digital environment is you're not there when the customer is experiencing these things. Mm-hmm. So you can't tell what what is is happening. You can't tell, for instance, going to the first impressions, whether a customer is frowning being surprised or being joyful or something like that. But we talk about facial expression. And facial expression is, again, just different to facial recognition. Facial recognition is going, I can see that this is Colin or Ryan because they're recognizing, the computer's recognizing your face. Facial expression is recognizing the micro expressions that you give. And again, just so we're clear about what we mean by micro expression, it could be the raise of an eyebrow. It could be the slight smile that you you have or frown, etc. And effectively, what the software is doing is it's looking for those micro impressions. And therefore, basically, what you can therefore do is you can you can actually test this stuff. So you could put your website up and you can get people, customers to sit in front of it. And you can even do this remotely, by the way. You can test your website to see the emotional level of emotional engagement that you are getting from those. So again, that would be a good way of of identifying what those first in, impressions are and what the customer is feeling as a as a result of those things. These micro expressions are insights into the intuitive processes. They happen without people's conscious awareness. They appear and disappear. That's why they're called micro expressions. They appear and disappear uh, on people's faces often more quickly than the 
the eye can discern when we're watching it in person. When we are videotaping it and can slow it down or when a computer can look at it, it can detect these things. And it gives us some idea of how they're forming these instantaneous intuitive impressions of what they're seeing. Yeah, and certainly when we've used this with clients, what you can start to see is through, and by the sounds of it, this paper talks about it as well, not just through the micro expressions, but also through the tracking of the eyes, you can see where the person is looking. So you can see the particular hotspot that's causing that. So which, and again, it could be good or it could be, could be bad. Mm -hmm. But the other thing, Ryan, it makes me think is that clearly a first impression basically says your homepage has got to be good. But obviously what a lot of organizations do now, particularly on social media, is promote various different landing pages mm-hmm. and making sure that those are conveying a good first impression as well becomes key. And just whilst I'm on a bit of a roll here, the other thing I find that, and maybe again, this is sort of like the trained eye, it's like, well, what's the first thing that you see is it again a sales pitch of some description? Yeah. You know, is it something that's going to help me? Because that makes me then go, or subconsciously, it's making me go, yeah, this is one of those websites or one of these companies that are really just after grabbing you from a sales perspective, and they're not really interested in me as a as a person. They just want to sell me something. Yes, I mean that that's a great point, and I would encourage people to not limit their thinking to just the website, right? So if the first interaction they have with your company online is in fact through an app or through a a digital ad or through an email, people are forming impressions based on that information. And so you and I have talked about the limited view people take when they think about customer journeys, where it's like, oh, the customer journey starts when they enter my store. Yeah. When in fact, customer journeys might start with a need realization that people realize that they need something and that's when their journey starts. I would encourage them to think about it the same way with regards to these digital first impressions. So it's not necessarily your splash page. The digital first impression they may have of you might have started earlier. And so they they might be walking into the splash page already with an impression. Alternatively, not all journeys lead through the front page of the website. Sometimes people link directly to some page deeper in. And so they might be forming their initial impressions based on that page deeper within the web page. No, that's a good point. I mean, I think for me, the overall point is whichever channel you're using, whether it's face-to-face, whether it's over the phone, whether it's digital, whether it's social media, whatever it is, guess what? It's a human being that's receiving this information. And therefore, all the things that we talk about apply in the digital world just as they apply in any of the other worlds because we're talking about people. it's it's time for us to kind of give our takeaways. Yep. That, that's where I was going to go with this. We've done a, a couple of episodes already on digital transformation and how to apply this behavioral science to digital spaces. I'm sure we will do more because it's a very important topic. But the, the key takeaway from most of these discussions will tend to be 
all the stuff that we've talked about that matters in other settings and offline settings and so on still matters in digital settings because people are people. And that's neither good news nor bad news. Things are not fundamentally different in the digital space, but they do come with unique challenges and unique opportunities. As you mentioned, Colin, you can't necessarily observe people as easily in a digital space. That's a con. A pro is though that you have the opportunity to make changes a lot easier, right? So if if you wanna change the first impression that people have when they enter your retail store, now we're talking about a lot of renovation. Yeah, We need to really change things a lot in the physical space. That can be expensive. That can be very difficult to experiment with, to optimize. On a digital space, I mean, you, you already mentioned a lot of firms have multiple different splash pages that people encounter depending on where they're coming from when they get to the website. These are opportunities to experiment. These are opportunities to change things around, to try to, to optimize and improve that initial experience because it matters and it matters a lot. Yeah, building on to those sort of recommendations, the great thing that I've said before, I make no excuses for saying it again, test things. you got yes. to test them. And yes. in the digital environment, as Ryan's just said, it's cheap to be able to do that. Second thing is, the thing I love about digital is you can measure everything. Yes. So measuring it and understanding what you're getting back. But the key part for me is the interpretation of that data. And you need to interpret that data with the behavioral science hat on effectively and looking at that data from a scientific perspective. And I would genuinely encourage people to look into this whole area of measuring customer emotions online. And again, if that's something we can help people with, then let us know. But that is a really, really powerful way of doing things. Lots of organizations do that for adverts. So they create an advert online and then they test it with uh, to see that's the most effective advert. But you, can abs- you should absolutely be doing it with your customer experience and with any other campaigns. And it's uh, quite simple to do. So... Last thing I we would ask you to do, and that is it really helps us when you leave a review. So if I could ask you to go on to wherever you're getting your podcast from and leave a review of how you think we're doing, that really helps us. We're really pleased that the podcast is growing. We'd love to be able to get out to more people and doing a review helps us go up the ranking. So please, I would encourage you to do that if you would be so bold. We know that you've already formed an impression of us, that this that, that happened it's- immediately. <laughs> now you just need to tell us. Yeah. We strive each week to live down to them. That's right. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for listening, everybody. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.